Monday was a huge gut punch for Orioles fans everywhere as Trey Mancini was traded to the Houston Astros in a three-team deal in which the Orioles acquire two pitching prospects. I'll give you my thoughts on why it was the wrong move and break down the trade as a whole coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, August 2nd, 2022. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, but not as always, I am upset. As the Orioles dealt Trey Mancini to the Houston Astros on Monday afternoon. It was a trade that, well, some of us saw coming. And we definitely knew was a possibility. And one that we talked about many times here on this podcast. But as the deadline got closer and closer, of course today at 6 p.m. Eastern time, some doubts started to creep in that maybe the Orioles wouldn't trade Trey and maybe would hold on to him for this playoff run for the final part of the season and that he would walk in free agency after the year. But that was not the case. The Orioles deal him to the Astros. And coming up on this episode, we'll break down the return in the full three-team trade, which also included the Tampa Bay Rays. Take a look at how Mancini fits in Houston, how the Orioles replace him both on and off the field. Take a look at the two minor league pitchers that the Orioles got in return, what the O's did as a move to replace Mancini on the roster for now. And then at the end, take a look back at the Orioles' game on Monday night against the Rangers. So let's jump right into it. The news breaking late Monday afternoon, first reported by Dan Connolly of The Athletic, and of course, corroborated by everybody that covers baseball. The Orioles have traded Trey Mancini to the Houston Astros. Now we had to wait a little while to see what the return was because... It was actually a three-team deal, and it took about eh, 45 minutes to an hour for the whole deal to trickle out. But here is the deal. We'll start with the Houston Astros. They received Trey Mancini in this deal. They upgrade a first-base position where Yuli Gurriel has shown a lot of signs of aging this year. All his power has been gone, hasn't hit for as high as average. His defense has gotten a little worse. They needed to upgrade there, and they did. They also get right-handed pitching prospect Jaden Murray, the Tampa Bay Rays' number 23-ranked prospect on fan graphs in the deal. The Orioles receive two pitching prospects, one from each team in the deal. They get right-handed pitcher Seth Johnson from the Tampa Bay Rays, who was their number 6-ranked prospect on fan graphs. And they also get right-handed pitcher Chase McDermott, who was Houston's 10th-ranked prospect via fan graphs as well. Both of those guys pitching in high A this season. And the Rays received a big leader. Outfielder Jose Siri goes from the Houston Astros to the Tampa Bay Rays as they need all the outfield help they can get with all the injuries the Rays have sustained this year. So that's the full deal. And looking at it from just an Orioles lens, they trade Trey Mancini for two fairly well-regarded but young and lower-level pitching prospects. So we'll get to Johnson and McDermott a little bit later in the episode. But let's start with what really matters. Trey Mancini is no longer an Oriole. 
And I get, I've talked about it. it seemed unlikely that the Orioles would re-sign him. And with the mutual option was certainly going to be declined. He was going to be a free agent this offseason. There had been no extension talks between the Orioles and Mancini. Seemed like he was going to walk to another team. And if this were the 2021 Orioles, recreated this year. And instead of being 51 and 51 as they entered Monday, they were, say, 41 and 61. I think most of us would understand this trade a little bit more. Well, you're out of it again. You got an upcoming free agent who you're not going to re-sign. Teams are looking for help. Trey Mancini's having a good season. Deal him away. I probably still wouldn't have been super into that, but it wouldn't have hurt as much. The Orioles were still a very much a losing ball club. Here's the thing. The Orioles at the time of the trade, 51 and 51. Three games behind the Tampa Bay Rays for the final wildcard spot in the American League. Coming off a 16-9 and month of July, which is back-to-back winning months after a winning June as well that included a 10-game winning streak in July. One of the hottest teams in baseball over the past two months. Ships away. I think you can safely say the third best hitter in its lineup. And for what? Trey Mancini this year played 92 games for the Orioles. 92 of the 102. 401 plate appearances hit in 268 with a 347 on base and a 404 slugging. A 114 WRC plus for Trey Mancini means he's 14% better this year than the average Major League Baseball hitter. 10 home runs, which would have been more in the old ballpark. Lost a lot of homers to the new wall in left field this year. 16 doubles, and a 1.2 war, according to fan graphs. Now, Anthony Santander has been a little better, and Ryan Mountcastle, before his recent slump, had been better. And, of course, the Orioles getting a lot of production from Adley Rutschman and Cedric Mullins and Ramon Arias and others. But I think you can safely say, whatever the combination is, he's at least the third best hitter in this Orioles lineup, and maybe better this season. What other team that's three games out of a playoff spot and playing its best baseball would trade its third best hitter for two pitching prospects. Not guys who are going to help your team now. Two pitching prospects who are both in high A this season. I get that the Orioles are not one of the seven best teams in the American League. And I think at the end of the day, they probably won't make the playoffs. Even if they kept Mancini, probably wouldn't make the playoffs. Fangrass playoffs odds, still under 5% for the Orioles. The teams ahead of them, Tampa, Seattle, Toronto, even Cleveland, Chicago White Sox, even the Red Sox, all have more talent on their roster than the Orioles do. But they were right in it. Three games back. And not only do you trade a productive player on the field, but you trade the heart and soul of not only your clubhouse, but your organization and arguably, your city of baseball fans. Trey Mancini, an Oriole through and through, since the day they drafted him in the eighth round back in 2013 out of Notre Dame. This right-handed hitter with kind of a funky swing who produced in college at not a great baseball program at the time. And the O's took a chance on him in the eighth round. And by the end of 2016, he was in the big leagues. 
a late season call up that year. Homers, his first couple games, makes the Orioles playoff roster in 2016. Gets a pinch hit at bat, did strike out, but gets a pinch hit at bat in the 2016 AL wildcard game in Toronto. The only player left over from that last Orioles playoff team is now gone. There is no one left from the team that went to the wildcard game six years ago. And he's been the face of this Orioles team for a while. Since the O's traded, Manny Machado, Jonathan Scope, Kevin Gaussman, the 2018 deadline, Zach Britton, and you know, a year later, Dylan Bundy. Mancini has easily been the face of this team. And when you include the breakout year he had in 2019, an all-star snub that season, was really the only known player on the Orioles roster, he was the guy. And then he goes through just an awful 2020. Colon cancer, the pandemic, having to go through chemotherapy, missing the entire 2020 shortened season. And to come back and still, not just come back, but play basically a full season and still produce for the Orioles in 2021. And then followed up with an even better offensive season so far in 2022. Every fan loves Trey Mancini. Not just for what he's done off the field, on the field, but what he's done off the field. What he's meant to Orioles fans. His relationship with Mo Gabba and his family. The moments we saw with Trey helping other people in the community who have been diagnosed with colon cancer. You see the quotes from Orioles players in the clubhouse Monday after the trade goes down. Just paraphrasing a lot of these guys, but Ryan Mountcastle saying it sucks. Jorge Lopez talking about how much he means to the team. Anthony Santander, when asked about him, just pulls out a signed Trey Mancini jersey out of his locker and gives it a hug. Adley Rutschman talking about how great of a leader he's been for this team. This clubhouse is broken up over this. I wouldn't be too surprised if this leads to a skid for the Orioles. You add that plus you, you lose his production out of the middle of your lineup. Things could go wrong. And even a little skid could take the O's out of this wildcard race here in early August. But at the end of the day, I don't get it. I understand the argument that he's probably going to walk in free agency. Even though Mike Elias said, you know, something along the lines of, I look forward to reaching back out to him during free agency. Why would you say that? Especially after this. He's not re-signing with the Orioles in the offseason. I would be shocked if he did. But for a guy who's given you so much since 2016, a 270, 334, 463 career slash line in 701 games as an Oriole, just shy of 3,000 plate appearances in an Oriole uniform. 117 home runs. A 115 OPS plus that whole time. He's been a good hitter his whole time in the big leagues. And the only guy sticking around through this entire rebuild. You finally get things going right. You're 51 and 51. You're three games out. The vibes are good. Even after a bad weekend in Cincinnati, the vibes are good for the Baltimore Orioles. The fans are back and locked in. This team's in a wild card race in August. When you didn't think any of that would be happening at the beginning of this year. And you trade away, middle of the order bat, the leader in the clubhouse, the guy who means more than anybody really, to this Oriole fan base, to get two pitching prospects. Not even to get guys who are major league ready, who can help you now down the stretch. No, no, no. 
we're not seeing these two guys until probably 2024 at the earliest. I get it if you're a losing team still. You get what you can out of your expiring contracts. But you're not. You're in a playoff race, Mike Elias. This guy means a lot on the field and off the field, Mike Elias. And you still deal him away. I don't get it. I don't think it makes sense. I'll hear your argument about needing to get something for Mancini and you know, being excited by the return of the two pitchers they got. I'll listen to the argument, but I won't agree. Trey Mancini is worth more to the Orioles organization than he is to the Houston Astros or any other team in Major League Baseball. And if it means you don't maximize his value and you just have him walk in free agency after two more months with the O's, that's fine by me. You let him fight with this team for a playoff spot, that's much more worth it than the two pitchers the Orioles got back, in my opinion. But the O's made the trade. And now we move on to what's next. Because the first question is, well, who replaces literally Trey on the roster? And who replaces his production? Well, the answer to the first question, a bit surprisingly, is Yusniel Diaz. And what a full circle moment it is. Yusniel Diaz was the prize prospect the Orioles got back in all of their trades at the 2018 deadline when they sold that entire team. The top prospect they got back from the Dodgers in the Manny Machado deal, who four years later is finally reaching the big leagues after struggles and injury. And listen, he's only hitting 234 with a 339 on base percentage with three home runs in 35 games in AAA Norfolk this year and has had multiple injury struggles this year as well. He hasn't exactly earned the appearance in the big leagues. But the reason it's using Al Diaz and not a guy like Kyle Stowers, Diaz is on the 40-man roster. The Orioles got some decisions to make with the 40-man roster this offseason. You'd at least like to get a major league look, even if it's a small one, at Yusniel Diaz before you make that DFA decision. And I think this is that time. He's on the 40-man. He's easy to call up. Keep him up for a few weeks. You get him some at-bats, a couple starts a week in the DH role, in the outfield, see what he can do in the big leagues. He's not going to be Trey Mancini, but you hope Diaz can hit a little bit. And long-term, you know, you won't have to take a regular hitter out of the lineup when Adley Rutschman DHs and isn't behind the plate. You can hopefully see Kyle Stowers soon and, and hopefully Gunnar Henderson after that in the big leagues. But all that is not worth losing Trey Mancini from this team, this organization, this clubhouse, and this city. And as a fan, I'm disappointed, I'm mad, I'm upset. I hope he wins in Houston. I hope he goes to the playoff. I mean, the Astros are going to the postseason. Hope he wins a ring with the Houston Astros. Trey Mancini deserves a championship. But he deserved to have it happen in Baltimore. And didn't deserve to be shipped away while playing for a winning ball club. But the O's in the trade did receive two pitching prospects. And some prospect people are at least excited and felt like the Orioles, I guess if you want to look at it this way, did kind of maximize what they could have gotten for Trey Mancini. So coming up next, I'll take our first look at the two pitching prospects that the Orioles received in this Trey Mancini deal. But first, got to tell you about Built Bar. The most delicious protein bar on the market. But they don't just have protein bars at Built Bar. They got other products too. And if you haven't tried the Built Bar Puffs yet, 
you are depriving yourself of one of the life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor. Ready? Delicious, indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. The cookie dough chunk puffs have a light and chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks, and of course they're covered in 100% real chocolate. It's a protein-infused marshmallow with cookie dough taste covered in chocolate. What could possibly be better than that? And the puffs, they're only 160 calories, and they have 15 grams of protein in them. It is the perfect snack that's good for you. It is so, so delicious. And all of the puffs, all the bars, they're all delicious. You can pick out your favorite at Built.com. So go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Maybe you can eat away the pain of Trey Mancini being traded. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. So the Orioles inexplicably dealt Trey Mancini. He goes to the Houston Astros for two pitching prospects. And those two prospects are Seth Johnson from the Rays and Chase McDermott from the Astros. You don't see a lot of three-team trades in Major League Baseball, but that's what we saw on Monday that sent Mancini, of course, he was the biggest name in the deal, over to this Houston squad. But in terms of things on the Orioles' side, I guess at the very least, you can say, well... They got back some promising guys, I guess. Let's start with Seth Johnson, a 23-year-old right-handed pitcher who will turn 24 this September, who was a competitive balance round pick, the 40th overall selection by the Tampa Bay Rays out of Campbell University back in 2019. Now, at the beginning of the season, Johnson was ranked number six on the Fangraphs Rays top prospect list, and that is a top five system in all of baseball. So, pretty good prospect. Fangraphs now, live change has put him at number 12 on the Orioles list between Dylan Beavers and Taryn Vavra. What you should know about Seth Johnson is first and foremost, you're not going to see him pitching for an Orioles affiliate for a while. Johnson, as reported by Ken Rosenthal and Jeff Passan shortly after the trade, is about to undergo Tommy John surgery, which will put him out not just for the rest of this year, but presumably for all of the 2023 minor league season, which means your goal for Seth Johnson is to be ready for the minor league season to open in April of 2024. So the O's aren't going to see him for a while. And this is kind of twofold because on one hand, you're getting somebody who you're not going to see for a year and a half. But on the other hand, you're getting a pretty highly ranked prospect and you're acquiring him when his value is at his lowest. He's about to get Tommy John. He hasn't pitched since May 20th. Now, I'm not sure why he hasn't already gotten the Tommy John if he hasn't pitched since late May. You know, it's been more than two months, but maybe they were weighing their options and now he is going to get the surgery. But when he has pitched, he's been good and people have been impressed. In his seven starts in high A this year before the injury, a 3.00 ERA in 27 innings, 41 strikeouts to just 11 walks, only 23 hits and four homers allowed for the right-hander. He had a 2.88 ERA in 93 and two-thirds innings in 2021 at the low A level with 11 Ks per nine and three walks per nine. Now, all this information, next up, according to Fangraphs and Eric Longenhagen, who does a great job over there, a 45 future value prospect in the 20 to 80 scale, has a fastball in the upper 90s that tops out at 99, adds a slider, curveball, and a changeup. Actually was a former infielder who converted to a pitcher and has some really good stuff. 
but he's getting Tommy John. And the interesting part with the Orioles is he is Rule 5 eligible this offseason, which means if the Orioles do not place him on the 40-man roster this November, he can be taken in the Rule 5 draft. And he will almost certainly be taken because he's the perfect Rule 5 guy to take. A player who's a top prospect but is having Tommy John surgery. Another team could select him, just put him on the 60-day injured list, and keep him all season. Because remember, the Rule 5 draft rules are the player either has to stay on your active roster or on the injured list for the entire year. So if another team takes Johnson, they can stash him on the 60-day IL all year and not have to give him up. So the O's will have to add Seth Johnson, despite getting Tommy John, to their 40-man roster this offseason. And although he can be taken off at the start of next year and placed on the 60-day IL to open up a spot, he'll have to hold a spot throughout the offseason. So there's that. But if they really believe him, which a lot of prospect people do, and we'll get someone on later this week to talk about Johnson specifically, they really think he's going to be a good arm, but won't see him for a while. And then the other arm is right-handed pitcher Chase McDermott, also 23 years old and also turning 24 soon. Actually, later this month, he will turn 24. Now, McDermott drafted a little lower, a fourth-round pick of the Houston Astros out of Ball State in the 2021 draft. Now, Fangrass had him as the number 10-ranked prospect in the Houston Astros system. That was preseason. Live, he was ranked ninth for the Astros. But they slotted him all the way down at 24th on their Orioles list right after the trade. Now, a 40 future value prospect who has had some interesting numbers in also high A this season with Houston. 72 innings, 14.3 strikeouts per nine. Among qualified minor league pitchers, that is the sixth best strikeout per nine number in all of minor league baseball this year. So he's got some wicked stuff. Now, the issue is the command. He pairs the 14.3 walks or Ks per nine with 5.4 walks per nine. That is a bad, bad walk number that needs to get fixed. And because of those walks and the nine homers he allowed in 72 innings, he has a 5.50 ERA in high A. Now, the stuff is ridiculous. And two appearances ago, he's been working as kind of a piggyback starter in the Astros system, which is what they do with a lot of their pitching prospects. He pitched three innings two outings ago and struck out nine batters, all nine of his outs for strikeouts. Funny enough, his last outing in the Astros system was on Thursday against the Aberdeen Ironbirds. He went four innings, allowing four runs on four hits, struck out eight, and walked four. Pretty much the experience for Chase McDermott. Now he's got a mid-90s fastball that tops out at 98 via fan graphs, fastball slider, curve, has a changeup, hasn't really used it. They project him as a starter. And his brother, Sean McDermott, played basketball at Butler and now is a bench warmer in the NBA. So comes from an athletic family. But that's your two guys the Orioles get back from Mancini and similar to Johnson, although for different reasons. You know, we'll see Chase McDermott pitch, but I wouldn't expect him in the big leagues to be a factor until at least 2024. And Seth Johnson getting Tommy John probably isn't a big league factor until 2025. So these are some faraway prospects. And although... A lot of people talking about how good of a return this was for the Orioles that they kind of maximized the value for Trey Mancini. To me, still not worth trading away Trey Mancini, but that is what the Orioles got. And later on the pod this week, we'll look closer, have some experts on to talk about Johnson and McDermott and what they can bring to the Orioles system. But after all that, 
and all the emotion from all the players, all the fans, everything that happened on Monday, the Orioles had to play a baseball game in Texas against the Rangers. And coming up next, we'll recap that one. I'll get you the five things you need to know from Orioles and Rangers game one of a three-game series. Despite everything that went on Monday with the Trey Mancini trade that Orioles players had to go with and, and, and go through, they had a game to play on Monday night in Texas. Game one of three in Arlington against the Texas Rangers. And a little bit surprisingly, the Orioles won the game, coming away with a 7-2 victory over the Rangers on Monday night in game one of a three-game series, getting the Orioles back over 500 at 52 and 51 on the season. Now two and a half games back of that final wildcard spot. And I really did think, I mean, I talked about it earlier in the pod, and it still could happen. But I thought this trade could just send the O's into a little bit of a skid, just tough to get the clubhouse back together. But they responded and responded quickly with this win. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles 7-2 win over the Rangers to wrap up today's episode. And the first thing you need to know is the Orioles offense finally woke up in this one against Texas. It had been a struggle for the O's offense, especially out of the All-Star break. And we specifically saw it all weekend in Cincinnati when the Orioles lost two of three to the Reds. Offense just didn't wake up. Well, it woke up immediately in this one. How about the first batter, Cedric Mullins, to lead off the game against Rangers starter John Gray? Goes the other way for a leadoff homer, his ninth long ball of the year. Part of a two-for-four day with two RBIs, a walk, and three runs scored for Cedric Mullins. He had a great day at the plate. And really, everybody contributed. Seven runs on 12 hits for the Orioles in this game, and they were mashing. And I mean mashing the baseball. 19 hard-hit balls as a whole offense in the nine innings. For the Orioles today, they get 12 hits out of it. And they were helped out a bit by Ranger starter John Gray leaving due to injury in the second inning. But they did get four runs of their seven off of Gray. It's not like he was dominating and then left with injury. The O's were hitting him in that first and second inning as well. I mean, the O's came right back. They got three in the second to go up 4 nothing. Just immediately put their foot down. And... Remember, in Saturday's game against Cincinnati, the O's got two in the top of the first. You feel good, and then didn't score again. Well, in this one, they scored early. They continued to score, continued to add on, and that really helped in this game. I mean, you look up and down this order. I mean, you know, eight of the nine players had a hard hit ball, and that was obviously huge for this team. And, you know, shout out to Taron Vavra. He was the only guy who did not have a hard hit ball, but he got his first major league hit. Taron Vavra in the second inning, a little slow chopper up the first baseline and beats it out at first for an infield single. He had a one for four with a walk and a strikeout in the game, but gets his first career hit. So congrats to Taron Vavra, who actually started in left field in this game. And I thought, despite a one for four, did draw a walk and put together some really good looking plate appearances in this game. But I mean, you know, you haven't had guys like Ramon Arias, who had an 0 for 5, but he had two hard hit balls. You know, Ruben Odor had an 0 for 5, but he had a hard hit ball. You know, Jorge Mateo, two hits, two hard hit balls in the day. We mentioned Mullins' big day. Anthony Santander only had one hit, but he hit two balls hard. I mean, even Ryan McKenna had a single. He hit a ball hard 
everybody seemed to be on top of Ranger pitching, and, and the offense definitely looked good. But second thing you need to know is that specifically Adley Rutschman in this game. I mean, the Rangers struggled to get him out in this one. They did get him out once, but Rutschman goes three for four with two doubles, an RBI, and a walk, and four hard-hit balls in this game, hitting out of the two-hole for the Orioles. I mean, he was just mashing the baseball. That was fun to watch. Maybe the most fun to watch game of Adley Rutschman's career, just how he framed the ball so well behind the plate, helping out Spencer Watkins, and then he just sprayed the ball all over the field with four hard-hit balls. It was just so fun to watch. In the first inning, his single was 111 miles per hour off the bat, smoked that thing. Hardest hit ball, I believe, of Adley's career in the first inning. He walks in the second. Then his double in the fourth, 106.3 miles per hour off the bat. His double in the sixth was 99.8 miles per hour off the bat. And then how about in the eighth, he actually flew out, but he still hit it 101.3 on a fly out to dead center and struck the ball pretty well. It was just fun to watch him swing the bat on Monday night. Third thing you need to know is that Ryan Mountcastle had the game he absolutely needed. Came in 3-for-34 since the All-Star break in probably the worst slump of his career. And Ryan Mountcastle breaks out of it. A 2-for-5 game with a double, a single, two RBIs, and three hard-hit balls. Now, he did strike out twice, but when he put the ball in play, every time it was hard-hit, he got rewarded with two hits. His swings just looked better. And again... He still had the strikeouts. He still struck out twice. You know, it, it was uh, he was kind of swinging at some pitches out of the zone, which he's done. But to hit three balls hard, get rewarded with two hits, huge for Ryan Mountcastle. Hopefully things start to trend the other direction, and he is breaking out of that slump. Fourth thing you need to know is that Spencer Watkins, I don't know how he keeps doing it. I try to break it down, but he keeps doing it. Spencer Watkins with the Orioles' first quality start since July 12th in this one in Texas. Watkins' final line, six innings, one run on five hits, with five strikeouts and no walks. The only run that he allowed was a solo home run hit by Corey Seager in the bottom of the sixth inning. He was at five and a third scoreless before Seager hit the solo shot. That was the only blemish. Threw 88 pitches, lowered his ERA to 3.80. And here's the big difference for Spencer Watkins. In his last start last week against the Rays, he somehow only allowed three runs over five and a third, but he allowed 10 hits and 13 hard-hit balls in that last start. Against a Rangers offense, which is somewhat similar to the Rays, and you could argue is a little better, he allows only four hard-hit balls and five hits total in six innings. One of the better starts of the year for Spencer Watkins. He do the five strikeouts with the no walks. I mean, he just goes up there and he competes and it's not the best stuff. I mean, he only got seven whiffs in this game on 35 pitches, four on the cutter, two on the slider, and one on a changeup. You know, he had zero whiffs on his four-seamer, but he was in the zone. He was dotting the corners. You know, his velocity is where it's been at all year, 91-92 with that four-seamer, the cutter, you know, 87 to 89, and he's just tossing those two things in there all day. It was 35 four-seamers, 32 cutters, and every other pitch was in the single digits. Nine curveballs, nine sliders, and three change-ups to go along with it. And I get that the Rangers aren't a world-beating offense. and They're not exactly an amazing team. 
But Watkins just continues to do this, and in a good way, it baffles me because with his stuff and his track record, he shouldn't be able to keep doing this, but he's got a 3-8 ERA, and he just continues to hold on to his rotation spot. And then the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is that, well, Keegan Aiken got the save, and big for Aiken, he continued to save the Oriole bullpen. You know, Bo Salser, who threw three and a third out of the pen on Saturday, certainly saved the Orioles' pen in that one. But this time, the O's pen gets saved in a win. After Spencer Watkins leaves, Keegan Aiken comes in, throws three innings of relief, allowing one run on two hits, struck out three with no walks. The only run he allowed came in the eighth inning as a home run was hit, pinch hit homer by Nick Solak. But 39 pitches for Aiken. Now, he did have six hard hit balls against him, so he wasn't you know super dominant, honestly wasn't as dominant as Spencer Watkins was in this game, but he did exactly what the Orioles needed him to do. You enter with nine outs to get with a six-run lead, and you just go after guys, and yeah, you'll give up a run or two like Aiken did, but you go through the rest of the game, you save the rest of the bullpen, and he just went up there throwing his four-seamer and his slider, and things worked out, and uh, you'll take that every time out from Keegan Aiken. But the Orioles do win it 7-2, to and... Well, they get themselves back over 500 on the season at 52 and 51. And they're 1 0 in the post Trey Mancini era, although still not an era I want to be in. But here we are. But we're not done talking about this Trey Mancini trade. We're going to continue to break it down throughout the rest of the week here on the pod. We'll get a closer look at the two pitchers the O's got in the trade Seth Johnson and Chase McDermott coming up later. In the week, potentially tomorrow, we'll get a closer look at those two guys. But we may not, because the Orioles may not be done dealing the deadline. Of course, trade deadline is today, Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. If the O's make another deal, you'll hear about it on tomorrow's episode. Just want to quickly apologize. A little bit of audio issues we had at the beginning of the pod. Hopefully, we got them fixed for the final two segments here. Uh, Try not to have that happen sometimes. Technology's not your friend We've got to get you a podcast here, especially on a day as, uh, I'll just say, saddening a bit to see Trey Mancini no longer be in an Oriole uniform. It's going to hurt to see him in an Astros uniform, but uh, hopefully he he does some winning. I guess I've, I've said all I can say. But again, we'll be back tomorrow with more trade deadline content here on the podcast. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. And Trey Mancini, we love you. Baltimore does and always will love you, Trey.